0: Welcome, friends, to the Soul Talk podcast, a show where we explore and uncover the path to the heart amplifying your conscience. Join me as we meet incredible souls who are in this journey and learn from their experience and different methods that will make you vibrate your heart. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, the warrior of love, and we're in Soul Talk. And today we have a close friend of mine that I have the pleasure to meet in person in Miami. And, uh, and we even stayed together over there. So we really got to know each other. And she's an amazing human being <laughs> and very resilient. Her story is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I wish more people as, uh, get to know her and get the help that she, that she can uh, bring you And not only that, the change that we all have. So um, just before she told you a little bit more about her, she have come from a trajectory of addiction recovery. And now she become a public speaker, writer, published writer, the best selling author and Mm -hmm. so forth. And she is a really an amazing human being that I have the honor to know in person. (laughs) Abby, thank you for accepting Soul Talk to be in Soul Talk.
1: I'm so excited to be here with you and I just adore you and everything that you're about so I know that today's uh, talk is going to be very very juicy because we have a lot of similarities in our stories.
0: (laughs) Yes tell us a little bit how your story how you may become the person that you're now
1: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely um so i am a second generation latina canadian um i live in edmonton alberta canada currently Uh, my parents are from el salvador they immigrated from el salvador to canada in the mid 80s so 1985 86 i believe actually it was Uh, During that time, there was civil wars going on in Central America, very violent civil wars happening there. And uh, my dad was in the military. He was a soldier uh, from the age of 14 to the time he left, which was, I think, 21 or so. Um, So in that time, he experienced a lot. He saw a lot. and we'll get into that because our topic today is going to be around breaking the the chains the generational chains of, of trauma and abuse and addiction and all of that stuff um, but just kind of a little bit about um, me and what ended up happening with me so uh, I was born in Mexico on the way to Canada um, and my mom was about eight months pregnant and they had to do a bunch of paperwork so we ended up having to lay over there and then I ended up being born there um, and so when I was about six months old we moved to Canada and started our new life uh, here, not having very much support. Um, my mom left all of her family back home, her mom, her siblings, everybody. And um, we did have some family, uh extended family from my dad's side. And um, but we weren't really close with them. Uh, so we started our life here. And unfortunately, due to some of the, the trauma and just generationally, the things that my dad had experienced, um, he really turned to alcohol uh, quite quite early on um, when, when we landed here in, in, in Canada. And because of that, uh, we grew up in a very volatile situation. Um, a lot of um, just he became a very violent alcoholic. And uh, my sisters and I were the, so I have two sisters, younger sisters. Uh, we were the um, the brunt of, of, of the violence and the abuse. And we ended up um, having to deal with a lot of abuse um, in all forms, physical, um, mental, emotional, sexual, all sorts of abuse. We were put in very, very... Um, Difficult situations as children that we shouldn't have been in with people that we shouldn't have been in uh, with. And because of that, we were exposed to all of those abuses. Um, And so as a child, um, especially from the culture that we come from, where we don't talk about these things to anyone, um, we don't share um, what's going on at home, it's very much stays at home, Um, you don't really, you're not really taught how to process it all. And mind you, um, you know, my mom was 17 at the time when she had me, she was very young, um, again, uprooting from, from her home country and leaving everybody behind. She was dealing with her own, um, you know, trauma and discovering that the man that she had married was an alcoholic and, you know, having three children, you know, consecutively and little support. So it was just a really unfortunate situation um, for, for us kids. But as kids, um, I I just distinctly remember trying to make sense of it all. I knew it wasn't normal what was happening at home, um, but I just didn't know any better. And I didn't know what to do about it, who to turn to. Um, So we become very... yeah like just uh, children are very resourceful and we make up our own ways to cope and usually because we're not we're children um it's not really the the healthiest ways of coping and so I turned to quite a bit of things in my early childhood um really struggled with depression and anxiety quite a bit and um you know and I rem- I can remember asking my mom as early as like eight or nine years old why do I always feel so sad why do I always feel this way And, you know, she just gave me the best answer that she could give me at that time. And she just said, you know, like, just try not to think about it. It'll go away. Um, You know, just don't think about it. And I was as if it was that easy, (laughs) you know. Um, And I tried. I really tried to forget. I tried to not think about these things. But of course, it's 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 I'm dealing with it every single day.
0: How funny it is because mm-hmm. this in the old ways was do not think uh, about depression or how exactly. sad you are and so forth and all the problems that you have mm-hmm. and it will go away. It never did. No. And it just passed to generation, to generation, to exactly. generation exactly. until this day.
1: Exactly. And
0: it's up to us to change that or exactly. continue the same trauma to our kids and grandkids and so on and so forth exactly so
1: even even with my dad for example you just use his experience um because both lineages there's just there's a lot of trauma on both sides um And But just specifically kind of focusing on my dad, um, my I don't know very much about my great-grandparents and anything further beyond that. But I do know that my grandpa, his dad, also struggled with addiction, also struggled with alcohol. And when he was in the war, um, you know, some really horrible things ended up happening where he ended up going missing and they ended up not finding him um, ever. And, um, you know, my dad was 14 when that happened. And the way that his uncles kind of helped him to cope with it was just gave him alcohol. They just said, here, take this, this will make it all better. This will make it all go away. And so then there goes it being passed down, right. Where there, where the uncles were already, you know, abusing alcohol to deal with their own or not deal with their own traumas and pains and heart heartaches. And then they just passed it down to my dad who then, you know, passed it down to me, which is part of my story, um, which we'll get into.
0: Unfortunately, there is a, this mindset that alcohol is going to make you forgive the problems gonna it's exactly the contrary.
1: Exactly. It's going
0: to remind you the problems that you actually have. Exactly. and in an amplified way, it is going to mm-hmm. create more depression and more sadness okay. and you're going to drink more. So it, is, it becomes a cycle.
1: Exactly, exactly. Cycle. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, as a child, just trying to make sense of the world around me, not having any resources, not having any role models, no one to really look up to to say, wow, I really relate to that person. Um, you know, I, I look at them, they've gone do what I've gone through and look where they're at. I didn't have any of that in my life. And so um like I said I just I really just did the best that I could um as a child and then um you know in my teen years I got involved with um you know just the cool kids in in school and um the kind of the rebels and the ones we'd all skip school and and hang out together and all that kind of stuff and then at age 15 I was introduced to alcohol myself and um you know it's interesting because like you think about I grew up all my life watching what alcohol did to my dad and those around me um but I like with him like obviously he never offered it to me or anything like that um and I wasn't really ever curious but when I'm with my peers and with my with the like you know my my friends it's like fun and everybody's just like enjoying themselves it's like a good time and so i i drank i drank that first time when i was 15 and i believe it really hit me much more different than it did everyone that i was with that night because for me what i remember from that night cuz i blacked out i ended up blacking out from from drinking that night i just remember the next morning waking up thinking, wow, for that one night, I didn't have to think or feel anything. I didn't have to worry about my, my, my childhood. I didn't have any of that. It really numbs me for that night. So I just really looked at it from that day forward as a medication where it was like, I was in so much pain that I just like would take this medication and it would alleviate it. But as you shared, it's temporary
0: because when, yeah. Yeah not only that you might not remember what you just did the night before mm-hmm. and then it's like oh I felt great and the night before I didn't remember mm-hmm. but while you were intoxicated you will remember everything
1: exactly exactly that is
0: the difference and you don't remember that you remember
1: <laughs> exactly exactly it's it's wild it's wild and you know, and that was like it was instant for me. It was really an instant addiction for me. It was always chasing that numb numbness. And of course, you know, from age fifteen. 15- to the time that I gave up alcohol which was eight and a half years ago um, was almost 15 years um, that I I drank very heavily during that time and during that time not only then did I have to was I running away from my my childhood trauma I was then running away from my present trauma that I was also creating in alcoholism Um, because when you're intoxicated like that consistently you're going to get yourself in trouble I got myself in many many horrific situations where now when I look back and I think think back to it I'm like wow I it really is a miracle that I am alive because I was put in such dangerous situations just a a young girl you know and and in these really scary places I have stories for days around that that time of my life that is just it's terrifying um but thankfully and and for for the reason that God only knows um you know I was safe I was safe all throughout that time um I didn't, you know, like, yeah, like, and then I ended up getting in trouble with the law and like that was kind of like the first time was like not a big deal. The second time was a wake up call. It was like a really big um, sign for me that it was time to make some changes. Um, And yeah, and so I just kind of came to a crossroads, um, you know, and right before on the cusp of my 30th birthday. Where I made the decision that um, I needed to I needed to give up alcohol. It was killing me. It was really really killing me. I was um, in a cycle where, um, in the midst of drinking like this, um, and because it's so society societally accepted um because it's very social everyone gets together no it's not it's not one of those things um where people notice right away that it's a big issue for somebody it's and, and and to be honest the people that I was drinking with at that time we all drank the same we all drank very heavily um we all like most of us blacked out all that kind of stuff right so it wasn't like I really stood out from from them but I knew inside my my motive and intention and how I was feeling the next morning when I was waking up
0: when what emotions are, I, I i don't want to tell the situation
1: mm-hmm. but
0: what emotions did actually make you choose to be uh, to make that change mm-hmm. you really remember that emotion
1: yeah what? Um, it was fear i had a lot of fear um so i'll tell i'll, I'll share the story around that the kind of that breakthrough for me because it's very important um So it was the summer of 2014, Um, you know, on the outside looking in, everything looked amazing. I actually ended up going to nursing school. I graduated, became a nurse. I climbed, um, you know, in my nursing profession, um, you know, pretty quickly. Um, You know, I got married to the love of my life, who I'm still married to. Uh, We've been together for 15 years like a very long time um and he was very normal <laughs> he, he was not the the typical type of person that i had attracted in my previous um kind of life uh and yeah so like we had a home we were traveling all the time everything looked wonderful it wasn't like i was one of those alcoholics that were under a bridge that people envision you know like everything looked very normal but it wasn't i, I was in a very uh, desperate state um where i literally would think about it every day like i'd be at work all i could think about was like when i get home i'm going to pour myself that glass of like hard liquor that i have in the freezer and that will continue my my evening and then that was like the cycle it was like every single day i was a daily drinker so it was it was pretty severe um and then uh i ended up going out one weekend and um just yeah just again just overdid it and then i woke up the next morning and I, the first thing I did was go look outside the window, um, to see where my car was. Cause I knew I had dr- driven the night before and, um, you know, it was there and I was like, okay, like the car's there. And then I was just retracing my steps of what happened the night before and all that kind of stuff. And there was just this horrific sense of dread that I felt where it was like, just like just dread and fear. And I thought to myself, you know, Thank goodness that I haven't hurt. I didn't hurt myself, and I didn't hurt somebody else. But I know that I'm playing with fire. I know that this isn't gonna last forever, and that eventually something very serious is gonna happen that I'm not gonna be able to come back out of. Um, and so there was just this this dread. And for the first time in many many years, because I've always been a spiritual person in the sense that I believed in something bigger than me. I've always believed in God. That's what it looks like for me. Uh, but I disconnected myself from all sorts, from everyone and anything in, in during that time of, of, of heavy drinking. I was really disconnected more importantly than, than anyone else. I was disconnected from myself. Um, and of course, how could I be connected to anything bigger than me if I'm not even connected to myself? And so uh, for the first time in in so many years, I really got down to my knees and I just prayed. I didn't know what else to do. And I prayed. Yes. And I,
0: it was not a resentment for everything that you have passed. I'm, I'm I'm asking you these questions because in the time I was alcoholic when I was 21, mm-hmm. that we have talked in person yes. about that. When I was 21, I remember there was a big, big resentment against God. Mm-hmm. Why you had let me pass all these things and so forth, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's why I was drinking because I did not care about the judgment in that time of mm-hmm. God towards me. Yeah, and uh, it was a resentment to him Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and when I actually when I actually pray in that time like you're mentioning and I actually start making peace with that resentment that I had towards him Mm -hmm. that's when I actually start making the choice Mm -hmm. to actually stop drinking
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: I just look at my kids and like oh my god i'm a mom and i kept what well, i I am the only example they're gonna have mm. so i stopped drinking
1: mm-hmm. it
0: didn't happen something like that because it was a resentment because you had passed your hell mm-hmm. with with your dad growing up yeah
1: i i think the biggest p- resentment i had was against him to be honest i was against my dad um god for me i like growing up because we had kind of different uh we were raised in different kind of beliefs you and i like um I knew of God and the God that I knew of was like a loving God. Um, It wasn't really a punishing God. Um, I really, it was like a comforting God. And when I kind of went down this path of like addiction and just like, you know, drugs even and all that kind of stuff. Um, I I chose to disconnect myself because I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed and I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel worthy of his protection, of his love, of his acknowledgement. I just like, I just went on my own way and just really just cut all, all ties and disconnected myself from that. Um, but in the back of my mind, I always knew there was something there. Because like I said, there were so many things that happened to me during that time that I was drinking where there, there had to have been an angel, a God that really protected me because if it wouldn't have been, I I really should have ended up, you know, on the news where, you know, they found my body in a ditch somewhere or something like that. Like it was that serious. Um, and so when I kind of went brought me to my knees and I made, and and I, and I cried out to him and I just said, you know, like, help me, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I just, I know I need to change. And that was the first time I finally admitted that, um, That there was a problem and i needed i needed uh, help and i and i couldn't do it myself and so um a funny story around that is that um years later like years earlier i think about five years before that situation happened uh, when i had my first impaired driving charge i uh, was court mandated to go see a doctor and uh, this doctor specialized in addictions and i went to go see him and we had a conversation And um, he just said, you know, like, have you ever considered, you know, that you have a problem with alcohol? And I just, I laughed at him. I was like, no, I'm like, it's for fun. You know, like we just, sometimes we like go overboard, you know, I just, I kind of laughed at him. And then he's like, you know, there's a lot of resources out there for people who have problems, who struggle with with alcohol and and other um, forms of drugs. And and I just I really dismissed him. I just I didn't I didn't any pay any attention to it. I didn't think it didn't related to me. But those years later, I remember that doctor saying that, that there were resources, that there were places that I could go to. Um, And so I that was like a seed that was planted in me. And so that started my journey of healing, really, at that point in time, where I just started to go on a mission and look for anything and everything that could help me. Um, And, uh, you know, it it landed me in so many different places. Some things worked, some things didn't. I just was willing to try it all um, because I was just I had no choice. I had no other choices. Um, And through that, you know, now it's been eight and a half years later. um, And that was before I became a mom and um you know this is why I'm so passionate about this because I want to share with you a couple of things that have been incredible gifts for me in motherhood now and in knowing and in my journey that um I am now like alcohol free for you know eight and a half years Uh, I have a four-year-old a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, so I had three babies back to back. They've never seen me drink. They have never experienced like violence, um, any of that stuff. Like I look at my daughter who's four. And at her age, I had already seen and experienced so many things. And I just look at her and I just I sometimes makes me very emotional because I just look at her innocence and her beauty and her, you know, just her curiosity and and excitement for life. And I just think like I see myself in her you know, and I just like, and, but I can't relate. I see myself in her, but I, I also know that my experience was so much more, it was so different. Um, and so because of the work that I've done and the the journey that I've been on just with the healing and just, you know, and it it continues, as you know, it's a lifelong journey. It will never be complete. There's always going to be things that are going to come up that we're going to have to learn to work through. Um, It's just the only difference is that I don't have alcohol as a choice for me anymore. It's not something that I turn to to uh, numb or when it gets uncomfortable to take the edge off or anything like that um and there was a really beautiful thing that happened uh like this is a couple a couple of months ago with my daughter so she's very intelligent um you know like really sassy and just really really playful and fun um but you know we we talk about our feelings at home we and i'm very um i'm very conscious and mindful of when i'm experiencing because the trauma runs deep um it's my default setting Uh, when like very very reactive um, because that's what I was brought up in right where everything was very reaction like you know my dad was very reactive around things and so I became that way as well because it was all I saw around me right there was a lot of yelling there was a lot of like you know just chaos a lot of chaos and I've had to do a lot of work and I continue to do a lot of work that Um, when I, when those feelings arise in me, where I get overwhelmed or anxious, you know, in motherhood, especially three under four, like it's, it's crazy. (laughs) And so it tests you, Um, you know, there's times when I'm not perfect. Right. And I, and, and I will yell or whatever it is. Right. But the big difference is that I'm very quick to admit when I've, when I've been wrong. And even with my children, as little as they are, I will get to their level. Once, you know, the moment has passed and everybody's more calm, I get to their level and I explain to them. You know, like mommy was very feeling very overwhelmed. And I named the feelings, right? And I process it with them. And I say, like, I'm trying my I'm trying my best to do better. I promise I'll do better. And we'll have a healthy conversation about it. And so it's gotten now to the point where my daughter calls me out. <laughs> and so, you know, like I will do something. And um, she'll know when it's like, you know, not my best self. And she, and you know, the other day, and she's very smart. So she'll wait until the moment kind of is the heat of the moment has passed, and then she'll be like, Mom. I didn't like how you talked to me earlier. And then I'll look at her and then, you know, and I just kind of get to her level and I say, let's talk about it. You know, and and then she'll and then I'm and and I'm and then we end up having like a beautiful conversation around what happened. And I thank her. I'm like, thank you for letting me know that you didn't like that. And you know, I'm gonna do better and all that kind of stuff. And I think when in my life would that have ever happened, you know, when in my childhood. There was no explanation. Like when my dad would fly off the handle, we would just made sense of it in our head. And I just, and as kids, we, um, we very much internalize everything. Everything is our fault. Like it's there's something wrong with me. Like I deserve it. Like all that, that stuff starts ha- happening as a child to try to make sense of it. Right. So there was no explanation. There was never an apology, any of that. Right. And so that to me is a big win. And that to me shows that I am doing the work in breaking the generational chains because first and foremost, they will never have to experience an alcoholic mom, you know, that's an active addiction. And second of all, they'll be able to name when things are happening and call things out as they are, you know, and feel safe enough
0: to do that. Hi, everyone. This is Monica Ramirez, the warrior of love. And I wanted to talk to you about Add to the Heart. That is a transformational system that I created that it goes in three levels and at the end even you receive a certificate as a healer and a channeler but let's start from path to the heart level one that is transformation and metamorphosis like my book that is precisely the path to the heart level one and the path to the heart level one it is because many of us i, I used to feel like that even as a reiki master and learning so many techniques every time i work with a client I did not felt that I did enough or that I was good enough. And yes, that came from a childhood trauma that started there because I was overachiever. I was always trying to prove myself to others and I was uh, a people pleaser because I was too afraid to stay alone or people would leave me if I was completely me. I have a lot of resentment to myself for all the mistakes that I have done in the past. And I bet many of you have felt the same way as I used to feel. Well, in Path to the Heart, we are gonna be working with the shame, with the blame, blaming others because a person that is not responsible of their own actions, it is gonna be very hard that they can move forward and actually change their life. We have to start owning our things path of the heart you will learn how to start owning your things but not only stay that okay i did yes and now what now you have to learn to forgive yourself for making the choices that you did and forgive others because you're going to start seeing others in a very different way you're going to learn to become the observer of your own thoughts and your own emotions and letting go all that shame and blame that is has been keeping you stuck and at the same time the fears that the fears is a limiting belief, because where I work as an NLP, deep inside in theta level, and I explain all this, and we work in theta level with activations and and meditations. We have a group also where it's gonna be supporting you. People that are working with themselves in the same level. And how many of you also have got stopped because what other people will think about you? So the judgments of others can affect you if you let them and you're going to learn in this uh, program how you're going to let go the judgments of others so like that you really will feel free and empower yourself so like that you make better choices and be less reactive and first of all you're going to learn how to love with yourself and love your life that you have right now the second level it is about clearing family lineage removing vows and contracts that we all do every time we speak And I'm going to finish the second level with a soul retrieval. You're going to be bringing those fragments so so that you have left because of fear, shame, or blame, or grief. We are going to bring those parts of yourself so like that it can get integrated to your own self. The third level. The third level is about learning how to channel and learning all the types of channeling. And we do a lot of practicing there, but not only there, we stay you're gonna learn how to heal at the same time your own clients in a, a level. And the good part about my program, A Path to the Heart, it is that you can integrate all the techniques that you have learned before from Reiki, from different modalities and so forth, and you can integrate them in my program. So if you are interested, just give me a call and let's have a chat. And I will be more than happy to have a discovery call with you. It's a 30 minutes call. This is a program that it is for coaches and healers and yoga teachers and massage therapists, people that work already with energy, people that already are working with themselves, but they don't know how to continue moving forward. So if this program is calling you, give me a call. Something that I, I've been observing more and more, we're really in a new timeline as human beings, uh, because we can observe the, the old generation, our parents, grandparents, etc., uncles and all that generation. Mm-hmm. And then in that generation, it was the kids should be seen, but not heard. Yes,
1: exactly. The
0: kids should not be expressing emotions. No one should express the emotions. Mm-hmm. Everybody, the male is the provider, the woman yep. is the one, and more in, in the Latino community yep. where we grew up. Mm-hmm. It was, Everybody has their 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 gender uh, home uh, works to do,
1: yeah.
0: and none of them was involved about uh, about emotions. Mm-hmm. So no one actually really talked. Not even between husbands or and wives. Exactly. They don't even talk about their emotions mm-hmm. that they were having problems with the kids, or they were overwhelmed with the kids, mm-hmm. or the husband. I like, did not create enough money to pay all the bills. Yeah, and they would not even communicate those kind of things. So it was easier to numb it down in whatever mm-hmm. level they can
1: exactly to
0: drugs to alcohol or depression or mm-hmm. sadness or many things. and all they went. that mm-hmm. so uh, and the new generations that we are raising now
1: mm-hmm. we can
0: say that our kids now they they can talk about their emotions mm-hmm. because we are they are very different the new generations that we are we are raising yeah the new world that's yeah. why I say it's a new timeline. Yeah. You know, in many levels, it is.
1: Mm-hmm. It is
0: gonna be the same future, uh, the same future that we had. Yeah. Because we are actually now we talk with our husbands, we talk with our, with our mates, our, our mates are secure also to talk with us.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: are now it is acceptable mm-hmm. that you are that your best friend, it is your mate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the old generations, they were just <sighs> husband and wife. Yep. they were not about best friends exactly. that was unheard of mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they were really alone living with with someone that it was they don't even know yeah so it was really a different timing for them yeah.
1: yeah
0: and uh and breaking that generation traumas and breaking that those programming how life or husband and wife or how the kids to be seen and heard Mm -hmm. it is breaking the whole mold Mm -hmm. for the future for our planet earth
1: yeah i love that and i i just so love that because i can't go like this is what i think to myself now it's like i can't go back in time and change anything that happened to me it happened to me but there's a quote that says that it's not about the trauma that happened to you it's how you deal with the trauma that really defines you and you know as a child i had no tools i had no resources so i give myself the the, the grace and the and the care and the compassion knowing that i just didn't know any better you know, I didn't know any better and I didn't have any guidance. Like you said, like my, my mom didn't even know like how to process her own stuff that she was witnessing and experiencing and talking about it, you know, and, and my dad, let alone, you know, and it's interesting that you talked about how, when we're, when we're drunk or like when we're drinking, how we still feel those emotions. It was so confusing for me as a child when my dad, cause like he used to drink till like the early hours of the night. And, um, he would call out to us at like, two in the morning and we'd be sleeping you know and he'd call out to us and then we'd get up and we'd go to the kitchen and he'd get us to sit on his lap and he would just start weeping he would just start weeping and and talking about things that we didn't understand you know we were young kids like we were small girls and he you could just sense the pain the pain that he was in you know and of course the next morning he wouldn't remember any of that but like you know for me it was just so confusing because it was like I, I I'm very empathetic and I've always been very deeply empathetic since I was a child and it would really hurt me to see him that way but I didn't understand I didn't I didn't understand like you know what was going on I just knew that he was sad and then you know the next day when he would be like um dry like what well, wouldn't even say sober like he would just be dry um you know he'd be like violent and angry and just you know and and it was just this like two worlds of like you know pain and sadness and and like deep like you know just this darkness and then you know there'd be violence and like yelling and all that kind of stuff right so it was just very chaotic very crazy and and, um, you know, that's I just I can I can very much envision myself now. Like, first of all, I don't even think I would have had children to be honest, if I wouldn't have um, you know overcome what I've overcome. It wasn't something that I was really excited or looking forward to, to be honest. My husband waited ten years for us to have children together. <laughs> you know, um, but now it's such a gift. It's such a gift, and like. You know, my my children see me cry. They see me overwhelmed. They see me and then I explain to them. I'm like, you know, like, cause they'll be like, what, what's going on? And they, they feel safe enough to approach me and they ask me, you know, like what's happening mom. And I'll be like, you know, and I'll explain to them how it in, in ways that I think that they can a four-year-old and a three-year-old can understand. Right. But there's no mystery there. There's no in their head where they're trying to like make sense of it and be like, why is mommy sad and crying? And like the next minute, she's like violent and angry and all that kind of stuff. Right. Like, it's just, it's such a night and day. Um, but I do have, um, infinite compassion and and empathy. Um, even to my dad, you know, I don't have a relationship with him in this day and age. Um uh, personally, I have this just a, a personal decision that I've made, but I do I deeply com- have compassion for him because I know what he's I, from the little the amount that I know that he's been through. um, he was also a young boy with no guidance with no, you know, at one time. he was a young child who witnessed and the stories like I'm telling you, like it's, that could be it's it'll be a novella one day <laughs> like, you know um but i also understand that um he also has a responsibility um to do something about it just like i did you know like i i let go of that victim mentality and that victimhood that i was so much um enthralled in when when i was in active addiction where i thought if you had my life you would be drinking the way i did you know, and that was a crutch that, that I really held on to that. It was like an excuse It justified it, that it was like, you have no idea what I've been through. This is like how I deal with it. So don't judge it type of thing. Right. But now it's like, no, I have a responsibility. Like I am not defined by these things that happened to me. There are resources, there are are help. I just have to do the effort, make the effort and and do it. And the ones that end up benefiting from that are our children,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, whether they're good decisions or bad decisions. And something that I observe uh, every time you go to a party and someone gets drunk and whatever,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't drink much. I'm not a uh, never, I cannot say I never drink. Mm-hmm. Not once in a while, I drink one or two, mm-hmm. but I like to observe people. Mm-hmm. That's something that I am fascinated because I learn a lot every time I observe people. Mm-hmm. And uh one of my my a few days ago, I, I was in a carnesado over here with some friends and mm-hmm. two sisters got uh, kind of drunk. Mm-hmm. And everything from the past, from the childhood that mm-hmm. took my toy,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it showed <laughs> up. You know? it, was, it was like, oh my god. I was also observing it, like, okay, maybe I should intervene. So I'm there. I am fine (laughs) and it was like okay let's take a big breath but no and and it show up again all that anger from childhood Mm. and that's what something the alcohol would do yes it would not calm you down it would not bring you down it would not uh make you uh empathy for the other person it make Mm. it make you be selfish
1: exactly
0: and narcissist is mean in that moment. Even if you're not narcissist, you mm-hmm. will show signs of narcissism when you're in alcohol
1: Absolutely. more than
0: anything else. Mm-hmm. And that came to under uh, and I came to understand because the other one was trying to change the other one, and the other one was trying to change the other one. Is like, huh. This is very interesting because none of them was taking responsibility Mm -hmm. of their own actions or have empathy and compassion for the other one. Mm -hmm. And that's just a typical uh scenario Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. someone that is drinking and is in pain. Yes. And that happens all the time with every single person that drinks. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And we cannot change anyone. sober or drunk or mm-hmm. in any in any situation. Mm-hmm. We're only responsible for ourselves. That's something that now we all under well the majority understand, at least if you're not an alcohol. Yeah. That you understand that. But why is still legal? Mm-hmm. Why is still legal the alcohol and many other drugs that are not going to put you in that state
1: mm-hmm. are
0: not legal. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. something that I do not understand yet
1: yeah why it, it
0: is it is uh, legal in all the world mm-hmm. alcohol when it creates the same problems mm-hmm. the same patterns that we have lived for since before the the greeks and romans yes yeah <laughs>
1: yeah it's true and i mean we really do live in a, a very medicated society um you know like it, whether it's alcohol whether it's drug whether it's prescription medications um you know so many people are just medicating themselves for for not for not having the willingness um to face the things that they need the medication for the root the root problem right because like with anything for example um you know if I break my arm uh, today and I'm in excruciating pain and I take some you know morphine or something to like numb the pain It'll make me feel better, but the break is still there. The bone is still broken. And until I actually go and like see a doctor and get a scan and get it taped up and go through like all of that process of like healing it, I can take that medication every day, but that broken bone is still going to be there. And that's the same thing with, with any sort of medication that we take, whether it's like, like I said, I I refer to alcohol as a medication because it really did medicate me for that very temporarily, but that brokenness was still very much there. And until I finally let go of that and, and decided to look at it, then the healing began. But we, you know, I mean, there's people that they, they, they go to the grave with all of that stuff. Right. And it's so unfortunate. It's so sad to know that, um, what could have been, you know, what could have been, but they, they didn't make the decision to, to what, for whatever reason, because like you said, no one can make anybody change. I've learned that the hard way. Um, you know, in many relationships in my life, I can only change myself. And I know how difficult that is, you know, so let alone trying to change somebody else, right? It really has to come from a place of of, of deep willingness and responsibility that somebody takes for their own life. Um, right. And it's it's one of those life lessons that are are very painful.
0: How do we you consider that we can change the trauma? Mm-hmm. that it goes in generations by generations mm-hmm. and it will affect our kids mm-hmm. but what are the basic steps that you will, do, will give an advice to someone that is is creating this trauma for yeah. themselves and for others
1: mm-hmm. I think, yeah the first and foremost step i <laughs> believe is the acknowledgement and the awareness of the trauma um because we cannot heal what we don't acknowledge if we pretend it never happened or we we leave things out you're not fully validating it and this is especially true of childhood trauma um childhood trauma is very um especially when it happens in those earlier years like the formidable years um, where our subconscious is being developed and formed um it's very deeply rooted um right like we can I have certain feelings that come up for me sometimes that are familiar, but I just can't pinpoint what it, but I just, I I remember it. I remember like my body remembers this feeling, even though I don't remember the, the, the memory specific to that feeling or emotion, it's so deeply ingrained in us. It's like genetic. It's like, you know, the whole topic of epigenetics and like the environment around how it affects our DNA and it gets passed down, all of that kind of stuff. Right. I think the first thing is to really just face it and acknowledge the things that we are running away from, the traumas. And that has been the premise of my journey for the past eight and a half years, where I've been peeling back the layers the layers of trauma um, and the layers of memories and the things and just really acknowledging. And I think a big piece of my own personal healing has been my inner child work that I've done that has been and continues to be the most important work for me. And because that little me that experienced all those things is still in me. She's still in there. It's just that my physical body has now, you know, is a a different age, but she's very much still in there. And um, I've really learned to connect with her connect with her, speak to her and validate, you know, everything that she's gone through, that she's, that she went through, that she experienced and saying like, I know that you went through this. I believe you. I'm here for you. You know, all that kind of stuff. Like I've done very, like a lot of powerful, like inner child work around that. Um, So I think that's the first thing. And, you know, and the second thing would be definitely resources where we cannot become ourselves by ourselves. We need to reach out for help. Um, you know whether it looks like programs, therapy. Um, you know I'm a big believer in in professional help. There's special there's people who do their work for a reason, you know, and seeking their 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 professional advice and their help through this kind of difficult um, uh, journey uh, because it's not it's not an easy journey. It's very uncomfortable. We have to have supports. Um, we have to have that safety net um, to really. Uh, hold us when we fall, because we will fall, we'll fall many times on this journey, Um, you know, and I've really turned, I feel like I've turned my pain into purpose, because now I speak about it, I write about it, I blog about it, Um, you know, I actually go into facilities and I speak to children who are, who are um, some of them, like one recent one that I do is um, I go into uh, detention centers for youth um, who are in there for, you know, committing crimes at a young age, and um, I went a few weeks ago and at the end we had an opportunity to do a and a and I asked them, you know, by a show of hands, how many of you come from uh, abusive homes or uh, homes with addiction, every single one of them put their hand up every single one, you know, and one one boy even spoke up and said, you know, my dad died of fentanyl overdose two months ago. You know and it's just like it's so heartbreaking for me because i just i know where what they've what they've been through where they like you know i spoke about earlier how i didn't have um a role model in my young life now i feel responsible to be that role model you know to these kids to my children um you know to whoever can relate to my story just to say that there is hope you can overcome um it's not easy but it is possible. It's very possible, you know. And and now the more I spoke up about these things, the more I acknowledged them, really sat in the pain of it all. Because that's something that I had never done. So really sat in the pain of it all. And then because the only way through is through. <laughs> so like I had to go through it all, right? And then that the, the more, less power and control it had over me, where before it had so much power and control in me because there was so much shame and secrecy around it. Um, Now it's all just it's almost like a like I've let go of that cloak, that cloak of shame and secrecy. And it's just like, this is a fact. This is what happened to me. It's I'm not ashamed of it. Um, You know, don't feel sorry for me. This is what I'm doing about it now, you know. And so um, I believe that every single person has a beautiful story to tell about their life experience. And there's people out there that only you can touch. Only you can touch with your personal experience, but the only way that you're able to touch that person is by you speaking about it and acknowledging the stuff that has happened to you, right, and doing something with it, right. And not everyone chooses that path, um, but I think it's so important, like to be out, like you know, a public speaker about it and writing about it and all that kind of stuff. That's a little bit, you know, on the on the extreme level in terms of like, you know, I understand that not everyone's going to do that, but at least you know, give yourself the the gift, the gift of recovery, and um, and and go through the work. Um, you know, to acknowledge the little you that's stuck in you, that is just wanting and wishing to be validated and acknowledged, um, you know, and, and to be given a voice, because like you you shared earlier too, as children, we were seen, not heard, we didn't have a voice, we didn't, we never spoke up, you know, I never spoke up, and now, you know, that little me does speak up on public stages, <laughs> you know, <laughs> So yeah just those are a few of of, of the tips that kind of come to mind if you're if you're starting your healing journey is awareness seek help resources you know and and look at it as a, as, as a, what, what's the lesson and the gifts that can be learned from it right and what how you can then share that with with even if it's just in your own community your own family um your own children you know it, it can really be a purposeful gift
0: that is so true because when we speak about the things that make us shame
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And shame lose the power. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much, Abby. Mm-hmm. This was a very, very <laughs> heartfelt uh, interview and mm-hmm. conversation that we actually mm-hmm. had, and I hope it helps everybody. Yes. The link of Abby, uh, so like that, you can wanna contact her and if you need some help and some support. It is gonna be in the description of, of this uh, this chat that we had, and uh, and please. Look for help if you need support because we, we never know that we might have a problem because if we are in this plane, we have something to work with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there's coaches and healers for everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For everything that you can imagine, there is help. Thank you so much to everybody. Thank you, Abby.
1: Thank you, Monica.
0: <laughs> and this is Monica Ramirez, the warrior of love. Thank you. Thank you for being in Soul Talk.